Something extraordinary has happened to Judy Sizemore's closet, making it feel more like a closet. closet. An area that once caused claustrophobia now has enough space, space. space to hold all of Judy's striped boat neck sweaters. And Judy Sizemore has a lot of striped right, right. boat neck sweaters. sweaters. The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha, through October 13th. The Container Store, where space comes from. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. Welcome, everybody. It is another installment of the J.C. and Morgan podcast. Mike Morgan of ESPN SEC Network, J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports as we inch closer and closer to the start of the college football season. And, J.C., this is the time of year we're normally talking about position battles, maybe some key injuries, big games right around the corner. And eventually, we promise, we'll get to a lot of that. But scandals have dominated this month of August, maybe to the likes we've never seen before when you consider how big the scandal at Ohio State with Urban Meyer, which is still, of course, ongoing, has kind of rocked the college football landscape. And now the latest situation, Maryland, and the death of a young man, as tragic as it is, and the ramifications of that now basically months later as uh, heads are starting to roll and you get the feeling that they're not done just yet with the Terrapins. Uh, It's hard to talk about these situations, JC, because at the end of the day, this is not a college football story. Uh, it's, It's a human interest story about a young man who was 19 years of age who clearly passed away uh, too soon. Uh, Much like the Urban Meyer scenario, there is a whole lot of people filling time and blowing out, uh, and in many cases, a lot of hot air, and sometimes not really, in my opinion, uh, really taking this thing in in whole before just giving a quote-unquote hot take, which is kind of a sign of the times. Uh, With that being said, you're overall impressions of of how Maryland has handled it and maybe your thoughts on how what other shoe is going to drop if any in this whole situation well first and foremost I want to say that you know as far as DJ Durkin is concerned you know if you just kind of take his piece of it okay um, I, I think that obviously if this stuff is true um, and you know there's an investigation so they'll prove it right now you have you know, some sources, some anonymous sources, which is fine. Um, and some things that I'm sure ESPN.com, knowing the way they work journalism-wise, uh, they have to vet just about everything. You know, that's why sometimes you'll see ESPN behind on a breaking news story because the, the vetting process is just so much greater there than it maybe is with other uh, digital sports outlets. So, so they've been working on this story for a while. I'm sure they vetted a lot of it. Um, I tend to believe that you know some of the specific cases are, are true. Does that mean that's universally how they're running their strength and conditioning program? I don't know. Um, as far as DJ Durkin is concerned, um, it, it's kind of surprising to me because you've always heard good things about him, and you hear good things about him from coaches and recruits, uh, parents of recruits, uh, that type of deal. Um, you know, he's not a guy like a, like a Zach Smith where you kind of sit there and go, well, that's not surprising. Um, I think his strength coach was off the rails a little bit. Some strength coaches are. They're a little unorthodox. Um, 
but you know, I think you know that some of the stuff that they talked about could could cross into the line of abuse. What I don't agree with, or you know, Jabril Peppers, who's in the NFL now, gets a voice about this and gives some vague back and forth. Well, you know, he wasn't really my style of coach, but you could almost call him a bully coach. Uh, but you know, I handled my business. But where I'm from, that wasn't really wasn't for me. But I think he was just trying to set the tone, and I'm shocked by what I heard at Maryland too. And then the whole narrative is, look, Pepper says, you know, Durkin was a bully. I think that's unfortunate because, you know, you kind of put the player on the spot there. You know, the player's going to speak his mind. He didn't come out and say DJ Durkin. And, of course, Durkin was the D coordinator at Michigan when Peppers was there. Didn't come out and say Durkin was a bad guy. It was very vague and back and forth. And then you write this whole piece that has the word bully, of course, in the first two paragraphs. This was USA Today that did this. And I think that kind of stuff is what's unfortunate. Um, also, the, the the people that want to kind of look past the fact that a kid died, uh, you know, the football is dangerous crowd, the the folks that hate masculinity that are out there in our society these days have latched onto this. And, you know, they're really kind of questioning the whole sport with their – you know, when they continue to push this narrative that it's somehow unsafe um, and, and somehow, you know, toxically masculine, uh, toxic masculinity. You hear that term a lot out there uh, these days. Um, and a lot of it, in my opinion, Mike, is anti-masculinity, to be quite frank, because some of these folks, these men that use this word and even these women, you know, they, they don't have a clue about the concept. So uh, that's my piece on it where it's like, I think people have gone off the rails. Fundamentally, though, Jordan McNair, kid was just trying to go to college and play football. He died. You read some of the admissions that the school president and Damon Evans, which I was shocked Damon Evans got another job. But I was the, too. That's beside the you. point. You know, I mean, I, I thought I'd never hear that name again. To be honest, yeah, you know, this guy, this guy. Um, I was living in Gainesville, Georgia, and he's from Gainesville when uh, he was named the AD at UGA. He's like a hometown hero over there. Everybody loved Damon. Then lo and behold, we saw what happened um, at Georgia. So, uh, you know, Damon Evans and and Wallace Lowe, or Lau, however you say it, uh, the president, they came out and said, yeah, we made mistakes and didn't handle this the right way. For example, there was, you know, there's a report out that they didn't use the chill tub, which is something you use to guard against heat stroke. You know, they yelled the head athletic trainer who probably should be fired if he hasn't already yelled, drag his ass across the field. You know, and the kid died. Uh, and that's when I think it crosses the line. Uh, I, I think that, you know, football, baseball, hockey, even basketball, they're players that die. You know, Hank Gathers had a heart defect and, and, and died on the court at Loyola Marymount back in the 90s in basketball. You know, you hear about young players getting hit with baseballs. Uh, you hear about guys dying in football. Most of the time, though, Mike, it's related to a pre-existing condition. Um, so I don't think the death in and of itself, the fact that, oh, a player died so football is bad, uh, is what the problem is. The fact is is that this could have been prevented. I mean, I'm not a doctor, and the autopsy and things like that, you know, should – tell us what what the deal was automatically, you know, at the end of the day. But, you know, if, if you use that cold chill tub, 
You know, maybe his body temperature comes down. He's not sitting there with a 106-degree body temperature. Maybe he doesn't die. I mean, that that's the bottom line here is that the the admission of fault by Maryland is shocking. And, and I'll say this. You know, people want to talk about and get into the whole narrative of, oh, these off-season workouts are hard. Yeah, they're hard. They are hard. But most schools, Mike, um, especially, you know, in the Southeastern Conference, I don't know what Maryland's doing with their money since they joined the Big Ten because that's a, that's a conference that's obviously rich. You know, you look at Alabama, you know, they've got top-of-the-line trainers. They've got top-of-the-line player health specialists. They have psychiatrists. You know, they, they have, you know, folks that are sitting there constantly monitoring their players' health during workouts, play, games, practices, et cetera, okay? Um, because they've spent the money on building that type of football infrastructure. And, and I think that's a very healthy situation for their players. And I think most programs do that. I get the feeling that Maryland, you know, was sort of a Keystone Cops operation. Um, and and and. and that responsibility not only falls on DJ Durkin, uh, it falls on the athletic director and the school president uh, to make sure they're doing everything they can to take care of their student athletes. And I, and I know Maryland football, you know, they were kind of getting there under Durkin recruiting wise, recruiting some good players, their talent level had gone up. They're in a brutal division. It's a new division to them. The Big Ten is sort of a new thing for the Terps. Um, but if you're going to play with the big boys and, and you know, try to compete with the big boys, the best thing to do if you're a football program is to get first-class, top-notch people in place and to get resources in place to, number one, first and foremost, take care of your student-athletes. People want to know why Clemson has risen in the sport of football. Clemson University is one of the best in the country at taking care of their student-athletes. And I'm not talking about cheating or anything like that. I'm talking about, you know, what do you need? Well, he needs a doctor. Well, he needs to go out. Yeah, he needs this. He needs that. You know, they need a protein shake when they walk off. The, well, they need a place to chill. No, let's build this operations facility. You know, and, and, and within the rules of the NCAA, because there's so much money being made, major college programs have no excuse but to at the least do that at, 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 at a minimum for their student athletes. And, and I just get the feeling reading off that all this stuff that, you know, behind the scenes it was this – you know, Rick Court, the strength coach who had gone off the rails, and a bunch of trainers who, you know, probably because of the toxic, intimidating culture, you know, didn't really feel comfortable doing their job or they were just so incompetent that they couldn't. And so, you know, I, I think that when you look at the, the facts of the situation, you know, did DJ Durkin say, well, the kid passes out, tell him to drag his ass across the field or – you know, it, it, you know, we don't give players cold. To, no, DJ Durkin probably did not do that. He trusted people to handle that. But at the end of the day, he and Evans and the school president, I think, all are liable. Uh, if I'm Maryland, I'm, I'm cleaning house immediately, um, distancing myself from everyone that was involved, uh, hoping Matt Canada can, you know, guide me to whatever season. Um, and I, I'm moving forward, and I'm not saying that because I want to tar and feather DJ Durkin like a lot of people. I'm saying that because, you know, ultimately you're in charge of the program. It's your responsibility, and, and obviously something happened, um, and, and it wasn't good. And, and I think the final point is the timeline 
of when Evans and the president, and keep in mind, most athletic directors, and you know, Damon Evans is a former player but not a coach, uh, and, and school presidents especially, they're politicians. You know, so if they don't have to say anything, they're not going to say anything. If they don't have to admit something, they're not going to. I think the timing, considered the death was two months ago, of the press conference where they basically came out and said, oh, we're sorry, we screwed this up. Um, I think it sucks that it took that long at an ESPN article for them to come out and admit that. Uh, I understand there may be you know, legal ramifications for doing it, um, and maybe they were under the advice of attorneys, don't say anything about this, but, man, it, the optics – uh, and and I use that word a lot. I think I think it was beyond optics. I think morally, morally that sucks. Uh, and, and I think that you know, unfortunately, they probably need to to clean house because there's there's no there's no getting past this. You know, if you're uh, if you're Maryland, based on what's been reported and admitted to by Evans and the president. You said a lot there, and and. There's a lot to be said about this story, because if you're not doing kind of lazy analysis, uh, which I've seen a lot of already, then you really do have to take this thing in parts. And I think there are two parts to this story. Uh, The the first part is what happened after the young man uh, suffered basically heat exhaustion, heat stroke, however you want to label it. What did the staff there do? And obviously, head coaches of college football teams, they have no medical background. They're, they're quite frankly, usually clueless when it comes to this. This is not high school ball where you, you, you just, you've just you got a head coach and maybe you've got uh, one person on staff that has any medical knowledge whatsoever. At least that's what it was like when I played. Uh, but other than that, you don't have a whole lot of people. This is big-time college athletics, and even though Maryland – football does not move the meters so to speak they are a power five school as you mentioned they're in a conference that affords them a whole lot of money uh tv money alone is in the tens of millions for every big 10 school that was part of the uh, allure of maryland leaving the acc and moving to the big 10 which it's finally after five years i no longer have to catch myself saying maryland acc right I finally accepted they're in the Big Ten, although it still doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, but but that is that is part one, and that to me, uh, in terms of how this thing was handled badly, that is the one that should be under the biggest microscope. How when this kid, this is not the first time, and this happens a lot, where a kid passes out running 110-meter sprints. They ran 10 of them, which is not unusual at all. I mean, nothing that I read about what they did in conditioning is going to make me say, wow, they are way ahead of the curve on this. I mean, Alabama doesn't work that hard. Uh, Ohio State doesn't work that hard. Florida State doesn't work that hard. This this strength coach, I mean, Rick Court's really reinventing the wheel. Nothing that I that I saw or heard about what they do uh, is new. And by the way, Rick Court, for those that don't know, this is not his first rodeo. He's been around 16 years. He was part of that Mississippi State team with Dak Prescott that at one point was number one in the country. He was a strength coach there. He was a strength coach at Ohio State. Uh, He's been around some pretty pretty big-time programs, some pretty big-time coaches. That doesn't mean he does everything right. I'm just saying this is not some novice who's just learning on the fly. Uh, and we'll get to his methods later. But, but what happened after this young man suffered 
what he did, which is a, basically a form of a heat stroke. That should be taken care of. And you mentioned the ice bath. Uh, apparently, it was just neglect from that point on. And that's where, I mean, the university, in, in my opinion, I, I know some people were applauding the president and the AD, Damon Evans. I don't have much applause for either one. I think they had to do that. I think the the, the magnitude of the story, and again, great reporting uh, from ESPN and, and Adam Rittenberg, they were they were in a corner and you can't go out there in that situation and start sounding all defensive and and sounding like you have excuses for what happened when a 19 year old kid just died you got to take the high road uh there is going to be a settlement i would almost guarantee to the family who uh, I, I believe this morning was on good morning america with michael strahan uh, already saying you know their piece and you can understand i mean anything they say is going to be justifiable considering the circumstances um but there's going to be a major uh, settlement heading that family's way doesn't make up for the loss of the of their child obviously uh but the university knows what they're in for when, when the dust settles and all this the other part of this story and this is the bigger part of the story to me jc uh, and i watched a lot of analysis uh yesterday and two days ago and it typical, a lot of guys just go, ah, fire everybody. Head's got to roll. But, you know, I, I'm tougher than you are when it comes to a young man dying on a football field. My, my stance is more aggressive than yours. My take is hotter than yours. Well, that's just brilliant. That's, that's great. And that, that's, if that makes you feel like you're doing a better job than the next guy, great. I actually appreciate it. I don't necessarily agree with everything Joey Galloway had to say about it, but Joey Galloway took a different stance altogether and that he said, look, I, I, I've been in that environment my whole life. I played in the pros. I played in college football. I'm just not a all heads must roll kind of guy when it comes to this situation. I need a little more information. I need to know what was what exactly was DJ Durkin doing during all this? What what was the M.O.? Because, again, we're dealing with a strength coach that's been doing it for 16 years. We're dealing with a head coach that's been around for a long, long time. And I haven't seen, and I believe me, I've searched, I haven't seen another incident, anything like this with these two guys. There's no question Rick Court was going to be fired. Um, but now the question becomes, what do you do with DJ Durkin? I, I do agree with you. I, I think they're just going to, they're just going to start firing people and he's going to be put out. And, you know, he's been there two years. He took on the one bowl game, but DJ Durkin, much like Maryland football, doesn't move the meter. Uh, a lot of people have a lot of respect for him as a head coach, but Maryland's not going to be worried about that. I always say it's easy to just say fire a guy when it's that type of low profile head coach. What if this happens? At, I don't want to keep going back to Alabama. It seems like we have to have an Alabama analogy with everything now. But what if this happen if, if under Nick Saban in Alabama and a player and a strength coach was pushing him? and has a heat stroke and for whatever reason doesn't get the medical attention that he's supposed to or he just passes out anyway and and and, and dies uh, is every gonna everybody immediately immediately gonna jump to fire nick saban fire nick saban fire everybody at alabama i i think a lot of the talking heads would be a little more cautious before they gave that analysis but it's pretty easy to do it when it's dj durkin of maryland it's kind of an easy target because nobody really uh is going to worry that much if dj durkin is gone from the head coaching world tomorrow college football is not it's not rattled whatsoever it's not uh it's not shaken whatsoever unlike say an urban meyer at ohio state we know that that's uh, the ramifications there are bigger 
I, I, I try to take every negative situation like this, much like the negative situation in Ohio State, and I know they're different, but I try to look at it and say, okay, what can we actually learn from this? What, what going forward, what are head coaches going to learn from this? Are, are we going to see a, a universal we, – we've already – there's already been limits on how hard you can work these young men, practice hours per week. They've cut down on two-a-days. They've cut down on a lot of things over the years. I mean some people would say football has never been softer than what it is now in terms of what you require, what you're able to make these young men do. But I, I just wonder that when they look at that first part of the story, what happened before – what led up to this? We're hearing rec- reports at Rick Court uh, verbally abused kids. He told them they're fat. He made them eat. He made them not eat. Uh, I got to tell you, these are all things I've heard strength coaches do at other places. And what happens, JC, when a head co- when a, a new strength coach comes in? What's typically when you ask around, whether it's the head coach or the assistants or anybody around the program, what do they always say? Oh, yeah, this guy's making us work harder than the last guy. I mean, this guy's a badass. The last guy, you know, we, we did, the, but the new strength coach, <laughs> oh, he's making us do more squats and deadlifts and running in the heat than the last guy did. And therefore we're going to win more games. That's just the nature of that position. The strength coaches that take a new job, they always have to be and, and more often than not, they are perceived as more strenuous as the last guy. And so th- that part of this story is, is there's nothing new there. I mean, I'm trying to figure out, I think DJ Durkin's going to get fired. I'm trying to figure out how culpable he is in all of this. He hires a guy with 16, 15 years of experience doing this. He's not out there, you know, again, it's not high school ball. He's not out there running the drills. He's not out there in the weight room telling them what to do. He's not out there on the field monitoring sprints. A head coach has got a million other things on his plate. So I'm just wondering moving forward, what do we learn from this? What comes out of this? Uh, Are head coaches going to be responsible for this in the future where if a young man, God forbid, passes away in a conditioning drill or something of the sort, or even just routine practice drills? As you mentioned, there have been basketball players that have just, they just passed out playing ball, not even doing strenuous uh, conditioning drills. How much are we going to put on the head coach? Because this, this is almost a landmark situation. Uh, you know, Corey Stringer, remember him, Minnesota Vikings, former Ohio State All American. He he passes out and and dies about 15 years ago. Uh, I I I don't think anybody fired the Minnesota Viking head coach at that point. I, I'm just very curious to see what it's done. So it's easy to just sit there and say, fire everybody, fire. Clearly, uh, they're all morons, and it's a toxic culture. I've heard that term a thousand times. But I, what I read, a lot of it, honestly, it wasn't shocking. I mean, this, this is not full metal jacket. You know, They're not all <laughs> taking bars of soap and putting them in bags and beating the crap out of a kid while he's in, in his bunk. They're, they're pushing kids to the absolute limits, and this young man, sadly— uh, on a hot day, kept running and running. And once he passed out, to me, stage two of this story, that's where Maryland undoubtedly failed. Failed. And they admitted as such. Stage one, where so many people want to say they failed as well, I'm not so quick to just jump in that arena. I'm not so quick to just say, uh, Durkin's a bum. Uh, he, he He's an abusive guy who had his players do things that no other coach in college football does. I'm just not there yet. 
Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I do think that, you know, some of the, the alleged incidents with Rick Court uh, were unorthodox. I mean, look, your job is to get players in shape. Um, you're going to sit there and, and make them eat candy bars and watch everybody work out to teach them a life lesson. That, that To me, that crosses a little bit of a line because fundamentally it's not healthy. You know, fundamentally, it's not good to eat candy bars. You know, you, you've heard the term run some guys off when you take over a new program, guys that won't get with the program. Um, that happens uh, at every major college program in the country, particularly when there's a coaching change. Um, you know, eat the, the eating part, eat the candy bars while they work out, eat, you know, eat till you throw up or whatever because you're not eating, that kind of thing. You know, maybe that crosses a line. Those are alleged incidents, though. Uh, I do think that, the people that want to talk about, you know, players getting cussed at and, and things of that nature uh, need to take a hike. I don't think they understand football. Uh, either that or they do understand it and they're crusading against, again, toxic masculinity or, or whatever. Um, you know, and I do think, you know, like Will Muschamp said, and I don't want to get into all his comments about the media and all that, because uh, he's DJ Durkin's friend. But I think the first part of what he said was criticize the performance, not the performer. There's a line you can cross. Um, you, and, and, and I agree with that. I mean, I think that you can sit there and, you know, say this is a bunch of BS, MF, and whatever, and, and be fine and get your point across, you know, rather than, you know, throwing P-bombs at, at kids, you know. <laughs> um or maybe you throw a P bomb, but you don't need to do it that often. I, I don't know. I you know I think that you know people don't really understand you know what actually does go on in, in a college football program in terms of off season training and things like that. There are some things that yes, uh, it would have given me pause about Rick Court that I read. If they're true, um, I would have probably not hired him as my strength coach, and I'd have probably. Uh, monitored it a little more he absolutely had to be fired because of the situation sure. uh, there's no question about it um but you know i, I don't i don't know you know dj durkin being liable um yeah i think that at this point you have to fire him uh because institutionally you, you just you botch the whole freaking thing and you know unfortunately the the superiors are, are, are liable i would fire him damon evans and the school president all at once um, and maybe that would, you know, if I were the Maryland Board of Trustees. And that's not to say if that's completely fair to D.J. Durkin. And that's not to say that D.J. Durkin should never coach again and, and be this big, um, you know, symbol of all that's wrong in college football or, or life or whatever you want to say. I, I, don't, I don't think he deserves to lose his career over it. Uh, just, just probably Maryland probably just can't keep him um, because of everything that's come out. Uh, you asked me what, what, you know, if Nick, this had been Nick Saban, what would have happened? Well, first and foremost, if, if Alabama handled a situation like this in this manner, Nick Saban should be fired. Um, and I think Nick Saban would tell you that if they handled it in this manner, that he should be fired. Because, but, but, but you know what, Mike? It wouldn't. Because Alabama doesn't they, – they, you know, the strength and conditioning program there is brutal. They're, they're the most – in shape, tough physical football team in the country year in and year out for a reason. Uh, Ohio State under Mickey Mariotti, that's no joke. That's no joke. Um, you have a lot of strength coaches that put kids through a lot 
and, and great programs do. That's the price you pay to be really good at college football. You pay it in the offseason. Um, a lot of people don't understand what all goes into that. Um, but beyond that, there's a different level, which is the training staff and the nutrition staff and the health staff and, and the, the competent people that, that get hired at places like Alabama and Ohio State. You know, the chances of that happening, you know, are slim. Now, I'm not, I, I'm not saying that Jordan McNair would still be with us on the planet had they put him in a cold tub that day. But damn it, they should have. I mean, that's their job is to look after the student athlete well-being. And so if you have somebody that's that in and look, trainers sometimes, man, sit around at practice or workouts all day. Nothing happens. They don't have to do anything. Something big. I mean, you really have one job. Take care of the players. Uh, and, and for that to go down in that manner. You know, if it's it blatant is, incompetence. if it is how they the the, the president and AD admitted it, then then that that's that's terrible. It, but but back to your point, I don't. I, you know, at some point at, at a major program where a big time head coach is, could somebody you know have a condition and die from a summer workout? Absolutely, it happens. But I don't think that this type of situation would happen at places like that. And, and I think that that's why it takes investment into your football program so you can get good people in there so you can take care of your student athletes. All the cussing and the, you know, the, the gladiator work. Football's a gladiator sport. You know, I don't think yeah. that I don't think you train for a gladiator event by sitting around and, you know, um, doing CrossFit to jazz jazzercise <laughs> music. I mean, nothing wrong with CrossFit. I mean, it's great, but I just don't think that's how you do it. You, you know, some schools do do yoga at times as a supplement, no. but you're not going to sit around and do yoga and Pilates all summer. By the way, by the way, you yeah. know how you know how you know somebody does CrossFit because they talk you know, about it because they'll tell you all about it. Um, <laughs> no offense to our fine uh, listeners that do CrossFit. God bless you. Uh, go get the prize. I just don't need to hear about it um, or, or see the T-shirt. But, no, I, I, I agree with what you're saying. Uh, and, again, what happened when this young man hit the ground, the incompetence level from that point on, to me, it's a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and although the only name we're hearing about is Rick Court, I can't imagine being the medical personnel that was there huh. and, and didn't do virtually anything um forget about losing jobs you got to live with that the rest of your life yeah i I mean i would be just i i don't know how i could cope with that if that was on my conscience that a young man died because when it was clear that he needed some type of assistance i I just sat there and again head coaches don't hire the medical those are usually university hires uh, which is another important uh, important point. I, I've heard people say, "Well, clearly DJ Durkin he he hired incompetent doctors too." That, that's not the way it oh, works, yeah, folks. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. just like God. Ah, just just stop stop talking if you don't know what you're talking about. Just stop. Just it, it, pause your hot take button for a moment. Huh. Get an education on how big time college athletics works and the infrastructure. Have you ever been to a practice? Have you ever played any sports? I mean, it, it's. I hear some of those things, and unfortunately, it takes away from an intelligent discussion on this matter because, again, that's what's required out of this. What's required out of this, because you can't bring the young man back. It's tragic. It's awful. 
you hate to hear it. it's the worst story we can hear in college athletics, the worst. Um, but let, at least learn something from it and it, at least put, put this under the microscope and figure out what is the head coach's responsibility? What more can he do? What more can universities do? Where was the failure? The failure to me is not verbal abuse. When I started reading that, uh, brother, I'm going to tell you, there, I've heard worse things said by high school coaches. I had them. Yes. Um, that is, if, if you are that easily offended by being called certain words, uh, having your your manhood challenged verbally, having your your physical appearance challenged verbally, I'm going to tell you something. In, in that environment, if if you can't hold up, you're going to be said, a lot worse is going to be said to you when you get on that field yeah. by the opponent. Because if you've ever been on the field for a college football game, this is one thing you don't get when you're watching it on college football or if you're sitting in row 32, section A of any college football stadium. You need to be on the sideline, as you and I have, and actually listen. The amount of trash talk, it, and it's, I mean, it gets personal. It gets nasty. Don't think that's just uh, endemic to the pro game. There are 19 and 20 year old kids that are saying some of the nastiest, filthiest, most personal things out there. But you know what? You better be a big boy and be able to take it because referees aren't going to go out there and flag 15 yard penalties every time somebody says something that's insensitive. And when you're in a in a environment where you got to put 20 pounds of muscle on or lose 20 pounds of fat and a, a strength coach and a coaching staff is doing everything they can to motivate you. That's just going to be part of it. I'm sorry. Uh, that That's not going away anytime soon. Of all the changes that we've had, many of them good, I don't see that changing anytime soon. So that, that part of the story to me, I, I kind of glossed over it. Forcing a kid to eat till he vomits, if that's the case, that's another story. I mean, that's yeah. kind of sickening, and there's just no call for it. And that's something that if Rick Hort wants to work again, he's going to have to answer to that. He's going to yeah. have to answer to a lot of things if he's going to get another job. In terms of DJ Durkin, I haven't read anything on DJ Durkin that tells me this guy should be banned from coaching again. I, I haven't seen that. There was nothing about DJ Durkin's past that in, implies that. And from what I've read, I just don't I just don't see that. So I keep hearing toxic culture, toxic environment, toxic, toxic, toxic. I don't know how much of that DJ Durkin is responsible for. And I, I just. That's the only part of this story where I say, okay, pump the brakes a little bit. Yeah. The strength coach has already been fired. Medical staff's going to be fired. I believe the AD is going to be fired and probably DJ Durkin's going to be fired. But forgive me for, for just being a little bit responsible when commenting on something like this, uh, for just wanting to know a little more of the facts and understanding the culture of college football. Uh, just because bad words are being said, that's not toxic. In my eyes, that that is reality uh, in a lot of situations. So more is going to come out. There's another meeting on uh, uh, Friday or another conference of some kind on Friday. And uh, I think you and I both expect more firings to happen. So uh, but again, I I just hope to put a bow on this. I I hope that things are learned from this. Uh, The NCAA could perhaps do something positive in lieu of this. So we avoid any situation like this again. Um, I, 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 that's, that's the only thing that I can say about it is to try and actually move this forward into learning about the mistakes that were made so that they're not made again, by the way, the, um, just to, to circle back on the Ohio state scenarios, we sit here toward the end of the week, nothing new there, but you get the feeling 
something's going to come down here uh, any day now. By the time we're on again next week, I would expect us to have some type of resolution in, in terms of Urban Meyer. But I don't know, JC, I just get the feeling the longer this goes, the more they are going to find a way to keep Urban Meyer around, uh, whether that's with a suspension of some kind or not. But I, I just have a feeling, again, I keep going to that term, the gray area. Uh, they are going to uh, use the gray area to their advantage uh, to keep Urban Meyer as their head coach. Uh, they'll take a lot of heat over it. Urban undoubtedly will take a ton of heat over it. But I, I just get the feeling the longer it goes, the greater the chances that he remains the head football coach at Ohio State. Uh, yeah, I think so, too. And I think the way this investigation sort of unfolded, as is the case with a lot of domestic situations, um, there's there's different sides to the story. Do, do, do I personally think Zach Smith is anything but a moron who shouldn't be coaching college football, who's a little bit of entitled uh, an entitled guy who, if even a fraction of this is true, probably needs some help? Yes, that is my opinion of him. Um, if some of these things were just blatant lies, you know, and maybe that wasn't the case, I still think he's a moron, acts like a moron on Twitter, and I still think his receivers have, have underachieved, and uh, I still think the whole thing's not a good look, and the fact that he's Earl Bruce's grandson makes me think he's a little bit of enti- an entitled guy, okay? D- do I think that Urban Meyer uh, is a patron saint? No. If I had to compare Urban Meyer to somebody, it'd probably be Lou Holtz. Now, was Lou Holtz a bad guy? But no, you know, but he was, he was a guy that uh, when you peeled back the curtain a little bit, wasn't the grandfatherly type of person that uh, maybe we thought. And it's no uh, no coincidence that Urban coached for Lou back in the day. Um, you know, do I think Urban Meyer deserves to lose his job? Again, it just depends on what exactly happened. If Urban Meyer told Gene Smith, no, I'm not firing Zach Smith, and I don't care, I'll take you down, uh, I'll cost you your job, then, yeah, that's insubordination, and that would be a bad look, and maybe he needs to go elsewhere. If Gene Smith knew about this and he and Urban collectively decided to kind of sweep it under the rug and, and, and not force a firing or anything, maybe Gene Smith needs to go. Maybe nobody needs to go um, – Maybe there needs to be some arbitration between the Smiths to get to the truth of what's going on with them. There's a lot of different takes out there with their personal life. That's why, Mike, and look, nothing against Brett McMurphy breaking this story and writing about it. But that's why, as a journalist, and I believe that sports journalists in general have a kind of a different uh, purpose out there than maybe your investigative guys or, or something like that, you know, on the political end. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I think there's some certain watchdogs and, and certain things you can do, but, but I, I would just be as a journalist period, very hesitant given people that are quick to judge out there about this type of subject, given the climate we live in to go get one side of a domestic issue completely. Uh, and, and I know that there are pictures, and I know, but 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 here's the thing, Mike, that that I, where I think maybe Brett jumped the gun, and and I'm not being critical of him at all, and and I know all the, my fellow writers out there maybe say I am. I, I think it was a it, it was a thorough deal. He's a thorough guy, but but I think that, and I think he did point this out in his articles, but there weren't a lot of arrests, there weren't a lot of convictions here. 
You know, you know, and I think that to take to, to really add the depth to the story that I needed, I would want to find out why before I publicized a, a domestic, an alleged domestic violence issue. Um, and I don't know that he could have found out why. I mean, I, I'm sure, assuming there's police records and everything, uh, because at some point, if this stuff is true, it not only becomes an institutional scandal, it becomes a a, a government a government scandal. Because you know, at some point, what's law enforcement doing about this? And I think in a lot of domestic issues, there are a lot of emotions. And um, you know, I'll just I'll I'll share something here right now. When I was a kid, I went through some stuff like this. You know, and. There's a lot of gray area, a lot of gray area and a lot of things that that happen that that don't normally happen in your run of the mill. Call the cops uh, in terms of charges being dropped, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I I don't know. I I think that if there was one criticism I had of how the story has been reported and look, I don't agree with. You know, people looking at it from the standpoint of just an Ohio State fan, just I'm just a Buckeye and. These are my guys, and I'm going to stick with them. And Courtney Smith's of this or that, and you know, Urban's a saint or whatever. I, I think there's a lot of people at fault here, and the truth is always lies somewhere in between. Getting back to the football end of it, um, gut feeling, and and I've you know, I didn't think Urban Meyer would survive. I think he survives now, just because there's so much noise in the system. And it's it's just not a deal where unless he just blatantly said, I'm Urban Meyer and I'm going to do whatever the hell I want. I don't, I don't see them getting rid of him. Um, and nor do I think he's, you know, legally and from an employment standpoint, a hundred percent responsible for this, given that there's no been no conviction, no anything like that. Um, as far as, you know, assault, I mean, there's trespassing and all that good stuff. Um, is it a bad look? Absolutely. But I don't know that I don't know that it's a uh, career nor job killing deal based on what I know now compared to what I knew a few weeks back. Well, I, I don't know if we're, we're differing on this or not, but I, I would just say this from my standpoint. Number one, uh, from what I do know, Zach Smith should have been fired before he was. Number two, Urban lied about it at the press conference. Number three, I, I just think there was a case where Urban didn't handle this well at all. And that doesn't mean I jumped right to fire him like so many other people did. But I, I wish, and maybe this is not realistic on, on my part, I wish Urban would go to the microphone when this thing is uh, resolved, hopefully sooner rather than later, and say, take a mea culpa. Hey, my bad. I should have been more proactive. I should have handled this better. I let a personal relationship with a, with an assistant uh, get in the way of my better judgment, and and didn't do the right thing sooner. Now, that might not be realistic, and that might be fantasy land. But that to me would earn Urban some points, which he could desperately use right now in the court of public opinion. Um, that's just that's just my take on it. I don't. I think Zach Smith is a bad dude, and I do think you had enough evidence there uh, to support the fact that he's a bad dude and not someone 
you keep on the staff. And again, Zach Smith is not even winning your football games, as you pointed out. His his record as as a actual coach and recruiter are questionable. This was obviously a personal relationship. That goes back to Earl Bruce, and and that's why Urban turned the other cheek. I love your Lou Holtz analogy. I think that's a good one. Um, I think that could be said about a lot of successful coaches. They know how to kind of play the game, so to speak. Urban Meyer is a Hall of Fame coach. Urban Meyer is not an evil man. Uh, But there are some things in Urban's past, going back to his days at Florida, and maybe even before, where uh, there's some suspect... um, judgment to me on how he's handled matters involving college athletes and now involving an assistant coach. And I'll just leave it at that. I will say this, uh, and then we'll move on to brighter topics. And this is by no means am I trying to uh, pick on the Big Ten here. This could happen in any conference. Or, and I'm not, I, I don't like interconference, uh, you know, uh, throwing stones and my conference is better than yours and your, conf- your, your conference has more uh, criminals and mine does my conference has a better education than your. Come on. Uh, at the end of the day, there's really not much separating all these conferences in terms of the way they handle the business of big time college football and college basketball. But when you look at the last seven years alone, going back to 2011, Jim Tressel has to resign for lying about tattoo gate that same year, the Jerry Sandusky scandal breaks, uh, Ohio state in 2014, six lacrosse players, or hospitalized in uh, 2015 you had the Rutgers situation Kyle Flood fired for influencing player academic status uh you know Michigan State in, in the last gosh the last 12 months you have Michigan State the Larry Nasser scandal breaks you have a situation uh with Ohio State and you have the situation with Maryland with a player dying this is all in the last seven years I mean that's a tough it's a tough stretch for any conference. Doesn't mean that the, the commissioner is doing anything wrong or that the Big Ten is a renegade. It just it's just an observation. I saw that article written uh, by Dennis Dodd of CBS Sports, and it kind of made me look at it like, gosh, I forgot that all those did happen in such a short amount of time and all in one conference. Uh, if you're if you're Jim Delaney and the phone rings in the middle of the night, you're you're probably just you know you're wringing your hands putting your head on your forehead saying oh please not another one please <laughs> that is just one of those deals where it, it's been a a brutal stretch uh that happens to involve one particular conference nothing brutal about bpskinnerclothiers.com and the great work that brent skinner and company do if you are wanting to look your very best had a uh an espn anchor actually uh reach out to me and say, well, what's, what's the deal with this Brent Skinner guy? Is he that good? I said, yeah, you're going to want to meet him. And he's going to. He's actually going to fly on up there to, to Bristol and, and sit down with him and go over uh, all types of, of custom suits and clothing. Again, it's not just suits. Even if you're not a suit guy, just amazing how much better a, a custom-fitting uh, shirt looks on you. It, it, it does wonders for you. I was always say, if it can make me look good, it can make anybody look good. So check them out. BPSkinnerClothiers.com. Give him a call. Ask for Brent Skinner to, for an appointment. And again, he will come to you. Doesn't matter where you're listening to this podcast. You don't have to go to his shop. Certainly can, but he will come to you with everything that uh, needs to be done to make sure you're sized up for the uh, latest and greatest styles and fashions, all custom fitting to your needs. All right, we're going to make a nice segue to a much brighter topic than the ones we've had to handle. Uh, again, it's not like we look forward to these stories 
No. This is not even a this is not even a slow time of year. Like we've got yeah. plenty of things to talk about without two major scandals, but they're impossible to ignore. They're not going away, and they are, in my opinion, they're going to affect how future situations like this are handled. I think we're all waiting to see what Ohio State does with Urban Meyer, what Maryland does with DJ Durkin, uh, because I have a feeling it won't be the last time either of those uh, sad occurrences happen. I just think reality is we'll see it happen again and how these things are resolved are going to be indicative of how they're resolved in the future. So to a much lighter topic uh, of all, how about some uh, conference talk a little bit in terms of I saw an interesting article, JC. This always comes up every year. Everybody likes to compare schedules like my schedule is tougher than yours. Our conference schedule is tougher than yours. Uh, There's been a lot of talk about the SEC. Will it ever go to a nine game conference schedule? More on that in a moment, but this huh. is from uh, this is from an article on Bleacher Report of all places. This is uh, the worst out of conference schedules, and they include the ESPN FPI Power Index to kind of help do the math. And some of these are, are kind of um, comical. Number ten, Virginia. Now, it's hard to blame Virginia for playing week out of conference if you know where Virginia's right. been the last. They, yeah. <laughs> right? They, they played a home and home with SC and Oregon. I think they opened yeah. with Oregon. I mean, come on, give give the Who's a break. I mean, come on. Yeah, Co- Coach Welsh is not walking through that door. So let them kind of let the healing begin uh, from a, a brutal stretch of, of of seasons over there in Charlottesville. But they've got Richmond. Indiana, Ohio, and Liberty. Richmond, Indiana, Ohio, and Liberty. That's the 10th worst. It's getting worse. Number nine, Illinois. Of course, the Big Ten, they only play three out of conference games. Kent State, Western Illinois of FCS, and South Florida. That's a neutral site game in Chicago. Uh, I guess USF? I'm sure the Windy City will be buzzing about that matchup, Illinois and USF. Yes, I, I also I also think that's a that, that's a piece of bold scheduling. If you have nine conference games and you you play Charlie Strong's Bulls on a neutral side, I don't I don't know that that's bad. Uh, oh, I mean, it's not terrible. It's, it's, not, it's I, not a blockbuster matchup, but I mean that's. I guess a, when yeah, I guess when you combine combine it with Kent State and Western Illinois. Kent State, who has an FP, Kent State might be the worst Division One school in college football this year, and then Western Illinois, one double A. Uh, the Leathernecks, there. That's my little brother's alma mater. The West, oh, there you Western go, Western Illinois University. So I'll be pulling, right. up, pulling for them. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Okay, <laughs> little Sherb, uh, number eight, KU, Nickel State, Central Michigan, and Rutgers. Again, it's Kansas, so they're going to finish last in the Big 12 anyway. Let them win some games. Could legitimately lose to Nickel State and Rutgers. They could lose two of those three. I think what people have a hard time believing is that there are some FCS schools that are greater than BCS schools. And you could even make the argument there are some FCS schools that are better than Power 5 schools. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a number of FCS schools that could beat Kansas on a neutral site. I can promise you that. Number seven, Nebraska, the Fighting Scott Frosts, Akron, Colorado, and Troy. Those are their first three weeks before they get into a Big Ten competition. That's it. Oh, who wrote this? Don't don't give me his name or her name. Uh, I, I don't even have it because a name. I, Colorado was a, playing Colorado. Colorado Nebraska is a big game. People don't people don't understand that Nebraska shares a western border with the state of Colorado. That's right. It used to be a huge big tw- big big eight matchup, right. big twelve matchup. It was right. huge, baby. It was unbelievable. Um, 
Akron is coached by Terry Bowden. <laughs> Who was the third one? Uh, Troy. Troy beat LSU at Baton Rouge last year. Come and on. They got a hot coach. I was, I, hot coach. Before you told me that, I don't have the article in front of me, Mike. I was sitting there going, well, Frost is about to hang 73 times. And I was like, what? They may go one and two. It's possible. Again, it's based on the – it's not even so much an opinion as, as the, they're using yeah. the average FPI. So Akron's 109, okay. Colorado's 78, and Troy is 96. Okay. So based on that, that's where they uh, they spit out that number. Rutgers is number six. Boy, if, remember when Coach Shiano had it going? Chopping wood, Ray Rice, mm. big wins. Anybody? I know, I know a lot of Rutgers fans, and they're great people because, God bless them, they're college football diehards up there in New Jersey, and they pull for their state school. But, man, that job has just gotten worse and worse and worse and worse. You ever been to Piscataway? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've been there. It's an interesting um, place. Multiple. It's, it's the birthplace of college football. There you um, go. And, and they, 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 they always should be better than they are. Um. But they're not, and they're and, not. And, and now that now that they're in the Big Ten, I mean, their whole athletic program just—I mean, it's tough. It's, it, tough, it's tough. I'll tell you a w- real quick story. Uh, my one Rutgers experience. Danny Cannell and I called a Rutgers Cincinnati game. Uh, it was Shiano's last year there before he took the Bucks job, and I remember people telling us, "Oh, that's Shiano. I mean, he's a he's a dirty, mean sob." And we walk in there. First thing he does is give us two nice golf shirts, and couldn't have been nicer. Um, so my one experience with him was great. Butch Jones was the coach of Cincinnati at that time. His stock was climbing. And of course he eventually got the Tennessee job, but my highlight of the whole, the whole event, I got to meet the late Jim Gandolfini, who was a Rutgers alum. Tony Soprano was there Mm. and I was on a mission. I have got to meet Jim Gandolfini and I got a chance to meet him. So that was my one, uh, Rutgers experience. And, uh, it, it 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 stole the show. It was it was much more entertaining than the game itself. Number five, Indiana. Who do the who do the Hoosiers got? FIU, uh, Virginia, and Ball State. One thirteen seventy one and one twenty one respectively on the FBI. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna say there could be an upset special there with FIU. Is Butch Davis baby? Yeah, I mean people talk that about Lane Kiffin being at FAU. A lot of people don't realize Butch Davis is at FIU, and they the Golden Panthers. Hopefully, they're called the the Golden Panthers because I, I got in trouble with some UCF fans by calling them the Golden Knights. Oh, don't do that. Yeah, they're just the Knights. That's terrible. They're more golden. But um, yeah, I mean that could, that could that could be. I find it interesting that both Indiana and Virginia, who are playing each other, are on this list. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, number four, Washington State, Wyoming, San Jose State, and Eastern Washington. Eastern Washington is one with the red turf, isn't it? Yeah, I now, believe so. Now that schedule sucks. That that, that <laughs> the, the, the Mike Leach, <laughs> but you know Mike Leach went through a period there, Mike, where. The, the Cougars would win like eight or nine games in a season, but like for two years in a row, they lost to a FCS team at home. Right. It's, <laughs> weird things happen up there sometimes, but yeah, that schedule's terrible. It's it's not real good. Number three, Wisconsin. And, and here's where it becomes a little more relevant because mm-hmm. Wisconsin is a relevant program that some people believe has a chance in a, in a very uh, loaded Big Ten conference this year that they could certainly cruise in their division and then wind up pulling off an upset in the championship game and, and being in the playoff. But if they do trip up, people are going to look at that out of conference schedule. And here's as a, here's how it looks. Western Kentucky, 
New Mexico, and BYU. 114, 116, and 79 on the FPI. That's the football power index. You know, you, you look at it, and Big Ten schools uh, with their three non-conference games usually go, unless they're playing at one of these kickoff classic type of deals on a neutral field, which Wisconsin, to their credit, has done. Um, it, it's usually like one kind of decent team like a BYU. BYU has sort of fallen off, though. It's not like playing BYU before. Um, New Mexico State, of course, is coached by one Bob Davey. Who, you remember how Bob Davey used to say, football, I'm going to get in the football game. Of course, former head coach at Notre Dame, now at New Mexico, rocking and rolling in the land of enchantment. Uh, and then <laughs> then whoever that other team was, I'm sure I'm sure he'll beat the crap out of them. But, uh, yeah, I mean, people are going to point at Wisconsin's schedule. I think, I think last season the debate was more about, like, Wisconsin's conference schedule. They missed a lot of the, the better teams right. on the other side. I think this year they have a couple that can get them through. But, you know, better pull for uh, the BYU Cougars uh, if you get in a situation where it gets dicey about the playoff. Yeah, at least this year, Wisconsin, they don't have to apologize nearly as much for their conference schedule because they've got road games at Penn State, at Michigan, and at Iowa. So if you can get through that gauntlet, you don't have to apologize for uh, some of the out-of-conference matchups a la New Mexico and Western Kentucky. All right, number two, Arkansas. Now, usually <laughs> when an SEC school, who of course has four out of conference games, you're used to seeing them schedule somebody tough. And Arkansas did that certainly under Coach Bielma. Uh, but maybe they just knew what was in store in 2018 years ago, and they said, okay, let's make this really light. And boy, have they made it really light. Eastern Illinois, Colorado State, North Texas, a game that, again, a lot of people are already predicting an upset there. And Tulsa, Eastern Illinois, Colorado State, North Texas, and Tulsa. They could uh, they could go two and two. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because Tulsa's no joke, and then New Me- I mean, North Texas over Arkansas is like the the pick du jour uh, of the catastrophic SEC upsets these days. Look, I don't know. I, I think I think you know these schedules are made way in advance, so nobody knew, right? Right. Um, I think I think Chad Morris. I mean that 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 sets up nicely for him, Mike. Because if you steal those four, uh, and then you steal a couple of conference wins, you go bowling in your first year, and and that's kind of a nice goal, I think, for the Razorbacks this season. Get things heading in the right direction. My concern with them, though, is it's such a like a dramatic departure, and there, and there's not that much talent right now that that they could go three and one or two and two. Um, which is uh, which is unfortunate, but you know, you know, like South, I, I'll use the South Carolina analogy. Will Muschamp inherited a bad situation in 2016. Gamecocks had um, in the non-conference they had Clemson, of course, but then their other three were East Carolina, UMass, and Western Carolina, which is not Murderer's Row. Um, and they beat East Carolina by five. They beat UMass by six. They beat Western Carolina by 13 and I think gave up 300 yards of offense to the, the mighty Catamounts, who were a 2-8 FCS team. But then they were able to, to squeak in an upset of Tennessee, a win over Missouri, um, and then one other conference game. I don't remember. Well, and they beat Vanderbilt in the opener, and they got to a bowl. Um, and, and that team was – people don't understand how bad that team was. So my point is, if you have a favorable schedule like that, like Arkansas does, and you can get, you can get your wins – 
uh, you can, in a first year, year zero type of situation, you, know, you can make some things happen. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't, I can't fault where that program is. You know, if you had five out of conference games, <laughs> the, the 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 fifth one might be uh, Eastern Michigan, yeah, or an FCS school. I mean, you, you just you're trying to survive. If they steal a couple of home wins, maybe against a, a Vanderbilt, somebody like that. Maybe they eke into a bowl game, and and then Chad Morris has something positive to build on, and nobody will remember, nor will they care about how weak the out of conference schedule is. Arkansas, the, the goal is simple for programs like Arkansas, Ole Miss, Tennessee, Vanderbilt, Kentucky. The goals are pretty simple: just get to a bowl game somehow, some way. Uh, that won't have the people uh, bouncing up and down in the streets, but it'll give them something positive to think about. It'll give the coaching staff more practice time with their players, and you'll you'll have some type of feeling that maybe those programs are, are on the way up a little bit. Uh, number one on the weakest at a conference schedule, Oregon Ducks. <laughs> Again, Pac-12, so only three, and none of these schools are in the top 100. Bowling Green, Portland State, and San Jose State. Didn't Portland State pull up an upset a couple of years ago? Uh, yeah, they, they beat um, Mike Lee. Kansas? They, no, they beat, uh, they beat Washington, oh, Washington State. State. That That's was right. Their, they beat Wazoo. Yeah. yeah the Washington State uh, – upset so yeah that's um look Oregon is kind of uh they're I think they're one of the most interesting teams in the Pac-12 under Mario Cristobal for the first year uh I I think they're changing some some things around but still change you know remaining true to what's made Oregon great they're recruiting really well 13 guys out of Southern California in the last class um I think that program is going to be on its way back up I, I know nobody was you know, jumping up and down about the Mario Cristobal hire, but, but the guy's a good coach. And, mm-hmm. oh, um, yeah. and I think that, uh, when all is said and done, they'll be back. It's a first year situation though. So, uh, and, and, and this is their third coach in three years. So, Hey, I, I think they need some, some teams they can go kind of hang 70 on and, you know, feel like the mighty ducks again, uh, if that makes any sense. Yeah. It, it is amazing that Oregon could be a case study on decades upon decades of irrelevance followed by this spurt where they were one of the hottest programs out there and legitimate contenders for a national championship multiple years under chip kelly and now kind of back into the abyss and you sound positive and again nobody knows more about recruiting a big picture than you do that that that's going they're, they're going to have a resurgence there in eugene i hope they do uh, I liked having Oregon relevant. I liked adding Oregon to the yeah. fray. You know, you know my opinion on college football. I love it. It's the best thing going. But you can't ignore the fact that for, you know, since we've had color television, there's really only been about 15 programs that could win a national championship. And I would say for the next 20 years, if you were to let me pick 15 schools, I would be darn close to 15 out of 15 in terms of who wins the next 20 national championships. In other words, it, it, it's you're either in that party and in that class where you have such an advantage of, of tradition and, and and facilities and fan base and everything else. And if you're not in that party, it's real hard to get in late. Clemson is is the latest example of that. 
but not a whole lot of others have done it, and Oregon came close. Yeah, but keep in mind, Clemson won the national championship in 1981, and and Mm -hmm. for that decade in the 80s, they were one of the best programs in college football. The great ones always tend to come back, Mike. That's the way Mm -hmm. football is uh, on the college level. I I actually think when you really drill the statistics down, I mean, mean, what, what upstarts have we had? Um, play for the national title even since the 80s. West Virginia in 88 with Major Harris. They got spanked by Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl. We had Virginia Tech in 99 with Michael Vick. You know, that's kind of their outlier. And Florida State beat them pretty good by 17. Um, you know, Auburn, I guess, is, is, a, is sort of a newcomer. But Auburn's always sort of been pretty good. They And they've had some teams like the Terry Bowden team and the, and the, the Carnell Williams, Cadillac Williams, and Ronnie Brown team that, you know, scheduling kind of screwed them over because they were undefeated both of those times. So I don't know that they're a Johnny come lately. You know, LSU was good in the 50s. It, 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 it recycles, and there are just not that many programs you can look at and go, wow, oh, wow. You know, Michigan State and Washington have made the playoffs since there's been a playoff. You know, nobody ever talks about those two programs in terms of this is the year they can win it all. You know, Washington's going to have a good year this year. Michigan State, except for one season, is always really good. But, no, you know, nobody's talking about them going and beating Clemson or Alabama or even Georgia. So I, I, no. I'm with you. I, I'm with you, and I think that, you know, or Oregon did play for it all twice. And for, for that program to reach that pinnacle sign, but they didn't win it. So, so here's my point. I think it's harder to win a national to win a national championship in college football, to win it, not play for it, not go to the playoff, to win it than it is to win the NCAA tournament in basketball or the College World Series in baseball. Totally agree. And I, I, I think once we got to this point, and believe you me, I am all for it. In fact, I hope we get to an 18 playoff at some point. But at least then you could you could start the season and maybe there'd be. I don't know, 35, 40 schools that could feel like, hey, at least we have a chance of making the playoff. Whereas now (laughs) there's about eight that really feel like they got a good chance. And then again, I can count on one hand how many teams have actually got a chance of winning the national title. You know, we're not going to have, I don't see in the near future, another year where a Cam Newton, which was such a transcendent player at Auburn, where they were, you know, I think they were out of the top 15 preseason if I'm not mistaken, maybe even out of the top 20, but nobody knew exactly what to expect with Cam Newton. Mike Vick was a transcendent player at Virginia Tech, so that's how you take a Virginia Tech, which is a consistently good program, but not a national championship program. Well, they at least got to the final game. Now with the with this setup, you can't you can't back your way in with some screwed up bowl alliance type situation like a BYU or the years that we oh, had split yeah. titles, and those days are done. I mean, the, the cream rises to the top, and, and I just, again, love it, not complaining about it. I'm just saying this is the reality for folks. We are now at a, a point in college football, and what made me think about this was Oregon, because Oregon was one of those that, whoa, where'd they come from? And for a while there, look, they, they were in the mix. They were in the, people think that the year that Auburn beat Oregon national championship game, some people talk like they beat them by 40. That was a close game. Beat folks. About three points. Yeah. By three points by three points. That three was a competitive points. game for four quarters. Last second field goal. And right. I think Oregon had their shot the year they played. It was the, it was the, it was the first, the first playoff year. Gosh, Ohio state won it. Um, Oregon had its shot with Marcus Mariota 
Helfrich mm-hmm. was actually the coach. Um, Chip Kelly had gone on to the NFL, and they were really good. I mean, they blasted Florida State 59-20, to the defending yep. national champs in the Rose Bowl. And Ohio State's playing with its third-string quarterback. And then you just saw it, Mike. We talk about recruiting all the time. When you saw Ohio State line up uh, against that Oregon team and run the football at will and do anything they wanted to on offense, and Oregon couldn't stop them and, and look, look, well, looked worthless, and then Ohio State had just enough defense and Mario didn't have a great game, all that good stuff. It's the haves and the haves not have nots, and, and no and, Chip Kelly, and there's no Chip Kelly dialing up plays. I mean, you know th- that 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 game against Auburn, Oregon actually played really well on defense. Mm-hmm. Chip Kelly dialed up enough offense to where it was it was close. I mean, it was a very close game. But Auburn had not played for a national title in years, so you know when you, when, when sometimes when you're away from it for that long, you get a little nervous. I mean, you know, I, and, I, and I think that. Yeah, there are programs out there that have a shot. There are programs in certain leagues that do not, um, you know, and, and they're not even in the tougher leagues. You know, like like I think you know West Virginia when Rich Rod was there and they 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 blew it at home to Pitt thirteen yeah. to nine. I mean that just that team probably that team that team could have done some damage that year. What was that? Oh seven, they would have played instead of LSU playing Ohio State for the national. It'd have been West Virginia. That was Pat White. Pat White, yeah. Yeah, and Pat White was one of those, again, transcendent college players, not NFL guy. College, much like a Major Harris, that was just a huge difference maker. Now they're in the Big 12. They're in a conference that's dominated by one team almost every year. You and I are in agreement. Texas is going to join the fray at the elite of that league. If West Virginia doesn't do it this year with Will Greer, a Heisman Trophy candidate, uh, with all due respect to the Mountaineers, I don't know when the next time they even win the Big 12 is or, or have a chance to win the Big 12. Forget about winning a national championship. So it's I mean we're we're just we're down to a select amount of programs that year in year out it's going to be the same name. So you, folks might as well get used to it. There's going to be one that drops because even the most elite programs out there could have a a scandal or b make bad coaching hires or in some cases make consecutive bad coaching hires and that that's when you prove you're not invincible. But other than that they're they're set they are the 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 way the thing is set up they are made to last and for the other programs that are kind of just on the fringe you know that that next stage it's got to be so frustrating because you can win nine ten games but you're still not playing for a national tight you're still not in that whole discussion at least the way it's set up now so I wonder if that'll change anytime soon I personally don't think that it will yeah my thing is who, who is the next Florida or Oregon. If you think about Florida and Oregon, Florida was not very good before 1990 at all. Um, and then all of a sudden they were the, one of the best in college football, and they've had two good runs. And, and obviously I think that program will come back at some point. Um, Oregon was a very I – mean, they were atrocious. And it started with Rich Brooks getting them to the Rose Bowl one year, winning eight games, you know. And then – Mike uh, Mike Bellotti came in and had a great run there and built it a little bit better, right? And mm-hmm. then Chip Kelly comes in, and it's like next level. And they get all the Nike money and all that. And, and there's something transcendent, not just with players, but with, with either coaches or, or, or money uh, that happens. I mean, the thing with Florida, obviously, was uh, one of the revolutionary coaches in the history of college football just so happened to be a former Gators quarterback, and they just so happened to be smart enough to offer him the job, 
and, and he changed the way it was played in the SEC. That led their that facilitated their rise. You know, in Oregon, I think you know those three coaches put their heart and soul into it, uh, especially Brooks and Bellotti, who did most of the heavy lifting. Uh, and then you get Nike money. Phil Knight decides, hey, you know, this is this is my school, and I'm gonna pour just a crap ton of money in here. We're, and you know, we may be in Eugene, Oregon, but we're gonna have the best facilities in the country, and they do. And so you're able to get players. So so what, what, you know, who's next? You know, who who is next? Uh, I think uh, is my question to kind of rise out of nowhere. You know, I mean, you said Clemson, but John Heisman coached at Clemson. They've played for the, in the Sugar Bowls before. They did win an 81 national title. You know, they've been good, and, and their rise has to do with kind of reinvesting, but it's more of a re-rise. Who's the next program that just kind of – has never been good that comes out of nowhere. And I can't well, that. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't say Clemson's never been good, but, you know, of course, we all know what's surrounded that 81 national championship with <laughs> Danny Ford. Let, let's, let's uh, full disclosure there. And, and, yes, they were good in the, in the rest of the 80s, but they weren't national championship good. And then in the 90s, you started having the Tommy West and Tommy Bowdens of the world, and that program was mediocre. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, if it wasn't for the grace of some patient uh, ADs at Clemson, Dabo Sweeney didn't exactly rock the world right away. He loses to his in-state rival, South Carolina, five consecutive years. That's a death nail for most head coaches, yeah. but they stayed with him. And slowly but surely, they built it back up to a place that Clemson's never really been it, it, to where they are now. I mean, yeah. now it's just, it's, it's just a different day and age in college football. I think the closest thing to Clemson still could be LSU. And LSU, quite frankly, has had more pockets of success than Clemson had, uh, and they have so many advantages. It's the only major school in the entire state which is chock full of incredible talent. They have a rabid fan base. They have facilities. They have money. You can't convince me that 10 years from now if Saban is finally gone that maybe LSU isn't the power of the West. And if you're the power of the SEC West, you are by nature – a national championship contender. Uh, so I, I, you I, know, you know how I feel about the current um, climate there. I think I think there's a change that could very well be in order soon. If if LSU gets the right coach, there's no reason to me why LSU can't be a program that's competing for a national championship. You know, one out of every three years. I don't think that's too far fetched. Uh, no, I mean, and, and when they're rolling and good, they should. I mean, you know, Les Miles, if you kind of look at him year by year, he had he had some really good teams. Then they go, you know, seven and five, eight and four, whatever. I'm going to throw out who I think could be next. Okay. I'm going to give you one. Their history sucks. There's no way around it. You can't say it any other way. They've always been second fiddle in their state. They've won – very little conference championships. Nationally, they haven't really contended. They've had some good teams, don't get me wrong. But, you know, they, 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 just, uh, they just haven't gotten it done for whatever reason. When you look at their history, it's, just, it's, it's, a, it's a tradition-rich program. You may think they've got all these titles or whatever. They Can I don't. take a guess? I, I, I know who you're going to guess. UCLA. No. Okay. Well, but that, that was my second choice, Texas A and M. Very good. Uh, certainly one of the biggest mysteries in college football. <laughs> it's, it's a huge mystery. I just, it, it, wow! It, it's especially 
if you combine it with the fact, like, and I could almost understand it if they were always really good, but they always were just not good as good as Texas. Texas has been down for over a decade. So the window has been there. <laughs> then they get into the SEC. The window has been there. Then they get a Heisman Trophy winner. The window has been there, but they never seem to go through it all the way. Mm-mm. And, and I, I agree with what you're saying. There, there's no reason why Texas A&M can't be that program. Uh, and maybe Jimbo's the guy, but you know, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of <laughs> believe it when I see it. Three top 25 finishes since 1999 at Texas wow. A&M. And, and look, Mike, two of those three – or in the SEC, since they joined the SEC. Yeah. So, so they were in the Big 12 from 99 to 2011 and had, you know, well, 2000 to 2011. So the whole first part of this millennium, Texas A&M has one top 25 finish in a Big 12 that wasn't always great. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's tough. Now, now you know, you go back and t- – I mean, they were really good in the 90s and, and good in the 80s and – you know, they've had some good, and before that, they weren't really all that good. But they just, you know, and they did finish number one in the AP poll in 1939 so they can claim that national championship. <laughs> but, you know, that that's that's not, you know, that's not Baylor or Texas Tech or TCU or SMU or Houston. That's the that is a large number. That is the number two school in Texas. And, and, and it's just as big as Texas. And they have a lot. I mean, they have just as much fan support and money as Texas. Oh, I would I would argue their fan support in terms of environment and how. I mean, you got to go to a game at Kyle Field. You got to go to a Yell Night. You got to what the, what they do is second to none. They don't have to take a backseat to anybody. Uh, their presentation is as good as any. Their fan base is as good as any. Uh, ridiculous amounts of money that have been upgrading that, that stadium for the last few years and, of course, uh, putting together the, the richest contract in college football history with Jimbo. There's nothing that they're lacking on paper, but there's something that has been lacking for a while in results. And so it, it's a great choice, um, but I guess, I guess I've been conditioned to believe that it's going to turn around at some point at College Station so long that I've become a little, little bit cynical when I hear it. Yeah, because it, you know? it, it just it's never happened. I mean, they, they've never been anything but uh, okay. I mean, you know, d- d- pretty good. You know, okay. Uh, you know, they, they ha- they, you know they they haven't. You know, even in the in the the bowl alliance era or the 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 era where we just all voted, they 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 were good, but they weren't. You know, they had Jackie Sherrill and R.C. Slocum had some great teams, but they, they, the you know the wrecking crew and all that. But they they just. I don't know, man. I just don't know. I, I think that uh, at some point the Aggies will will will, will break th- through. But for now, it's kind of like the Boston Red Sox and Chicago Cubs when they had their their droughts. You just kind of go, well, why? You know, or a white man. I hope. I mean, I, I I literally think that that's the program there. I think UCLA is a different situation. I think it's a it's more like a the North Carolina situation where. Yeah, they've got great facilities and they do support the sport, and you know they're surrounded by a lot of talent. But and there's been years where they've been really good, but fundamentally, it's a basketball school. Uh, now maybe Chip Kelly changes that. I don't know, um, but that's one I'll believe when I see. see well, yeah, I 
I know what you're saying. I don't buy into that because I don't believe you, you have to be one or the other. I mean, UCLA has got enough going for it resources-wise and everything. Yeah. The problem with UCLA, and I've talked to alums like this, like Randy Cross, they were cheap. Mm-hmm. They just they didn't they didn't want they just wanted to they didn't want to rub two nickels together, and I think that's finally changing. Yes, beautiful new facility. Right, so they're finally pumping money into it, where they're trying to. And of course, the hire uh, speaks for itself. I, I don't think you could have done much better, especially for UCLA and Chip Kelly. I, I, that that says to me, like, okay, we're, we're tired of being known as the program that should be better than it is. That doesn't want to spend a whole lot of money. Now we're, we're, we're turning the page on that. So I would expect UCLA to certainly be better than what it has been. Uh, but, again, we'll, we'll see. Time will tell. Yeah, I, that's, I, I think yeah. you can – and I want to just say I do think you can be good at both. I, I think that, you know, some of the blue blood basketball schools I, I do think have maybe at times uh, neglected football and what they have to spend to compete there. Um, certainly there's no um, lack of talent that UCLA get. They recruit well every single year. So, and they have fans. They show up at the Rose Bowl and support it. Right, so I, right. You know, I, I'd, I'd love to see UCLA rise and, uh, you know, get to at least the level they were under Terry Donahue back in the 80s when they had Aikman and, and some of those guys. J.J. Stokes, right? J.J. Stokes. How about that? Uh, I mean, it had, it had a, a, a track record of good running backs coming out of there. You know, it, there's no reason why you should. I mean, like Kentucky, give Kentucky credit. If you've been to uh, uh, whatever they're calling the stadium these days, it, it, they have made a commitment to football. This is not like, well, we only care about basketball. But uh, Kentucky could make the biggest commitment to football known to mankind. And as you know, recruiting football players to Lexington is a challenge, and particularly in that league. They're always going to have uh, some pretty strong uh, battles to, to climb. UCLA should be able to be good in both. And quite frankly, they haven't been that great in basketball. So. Uh, why not make a, a strong effort in college football? Anyway, uh, we're overtime, which yeah. you never know when you're going to hop onto a, a, a random subject and kind of go with it. But that's part of the fun. Tell the folks out there, the fine folks, JC, if they haven't already become a subscriber as the thousands upon thousands that have here in the last 12 months uh, of our podcast. How do they do so? Uh, yes, you can just go to uh, iTunes uh, if you're an Apple products user and subscribe Rate us five stars. Don't rate us two stars, but everybody that's rated us so far has rated us five stars. We appreciate all the kind words there. If you use an Android or you have Google Play, never fear. We are on those two uh, platforms as well. Also, the Stitcher app, which is a fun podcasting app. Just about any other podcasting app you can find that gets an RSS feed from iTunes, also all over 24-7 Sports. And, of course, on Twitter, where you can follow Mike at at Morgan on air or me at JC Sherbert. That's just J C S H U R B U R T T. We should have plenty to talk about next week. Might have more clarity on both the Maryland and Ohio state situations and actually start talking about some games and and some really good games. The first couple weeks of the college football season until then for JC Sherbert, Mike Morgan saying so long for now. We'll see you next week on the JC and Morgan podcast. Jess, it's happening. Whoa, Tina, what are you doing in my car? Space is here now. No closet will be left behind. Did you say closet? Yes, the Container Store custom closets are up to 25% off. It doesn't matter the size or shape. Space is coming to them all. You're not serious. Space isn't a joke, Jess. How long do we have? Through October 13th. All right, buckle up. 
the Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha. The Container Store, where space comes from. Jess, it's happening. Whoa, Tina, what are you doing in my car? Space is here now. No closet will be left behind. Did you say closet? Yes, the Container Store Custom Closets are up to 25% off. It doesn't matter the size or shape. Space is coming to them all. You're not serious. Space isn't a joke, Jess. How long do we have? Through October 13th. All right, buckle up. The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha. The Container Store, where space comes from.